Welcome to Hear Her Sports, a podcast about exceptional female athletes and women in sports. There are a lot of us out there. Find us, see us, hear us. Before I get started, a quick reminder that our partner Ally's Bar is offering 50% off and free shipping to Hear Her Sports listeners. Use the promo code HERSports at Ally'sBar.com. Head to HearHerSports.com membership page for more information. Hey, I'm super excited. This week, rugby player Phaedra Knight is my guest. Phaedra is one of the sport's all-time greats. She was named Player of the Decade in 2010, participated three times in Rugby World Cup, and was twice named to the All-World Team. But what I like best about our conversation is the importance that she gives to quality coaching and how she herself is making a commitment to developing the future of the sport. She was recently hired by Monroe College as the women's rugby coach. They have a new program launching in the fall, and she's currently in the recruiting phase. If I were looking to play college rugby, I certainly would be looking at Monroe College. I'm sure that Phaedra would be an absolutely amazing coach. She also has an infectious enthusiasm for the sport. I'm now a fan and plan on making the trip to San Francisco next year to see the Rugby World Cup 7s. Well, let's get started. Because not everybody is familiar with rugby, I started out by asking Phaedra to introduce us to the sport. Here she is. My name is Phaedra Knight, and um, I've played rugby in the U.S. for the last 20 years. I've been a part of the U.S. uh, team program for 18 of those 20 years. Um, And uh, just a quick pitch on rugby. Uh, it's 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 uh, undeniably the most spectacular sport in the world. Um, it, it's the second largest uh, sport globally, second to soccer. Um, but I, I think you know credit to soccer being the the parent of rugby, um, and, and 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 soccer being a, a great sport. But rugby is absolutely just a fascinating uh, thing to watch and. Uh, probably most recently on a global scale evidenced by um, the emergence of the sport in the Olympics. Uh, rugby sevens is the faster form of rugby, smaller uh, number of players on the field at a time, seven per team, uh, played on a, the same large field at 15s, which is the more traditional form of rugby is played on. Um, it took the, took the world by storm really in August uh, during the Olympic Games and was easily one of the one of the top emerging sports in the Olympics, one of the most popular sports actually viewed. Um, it's you know it's incredible. It, it offers um, the contact of football, but in probably a much more technical uh, played out way. Uh, it offers the uh, ex- exciting, uh, fast pace of track and field uh, with, with the varying and, and explosive speeds of, of many of the, of the players that engage. Uh, it offers uh, uh, incredible teamwork, which is just inherently a part of the game. Uh, and it offers <laughs> – oh, God, it offers so much. It offers um, – I think something that you don't necessarily uh, see initially, but as you watch the game and watch the um, mannerisms of the players, it offers uh, a a camaraderie, uh, respect, and a set of core values that no other sport offers, which essentially extends so far beyond the game and the sport of rugby uh, that it, it, it um, that I think no other sport really offers. Why do you think that's the case? Uh, has a lot to do with just the the inherent nature of the sport, right? And, and how the game is governed. You know, there's respect, uh, there's resilience, um, there's um, persistence, and obviously there's teamwork. And, and the and the laws that govern the game, there's certain things that just aren't aren't tolerated and the culture that surrounds the game there's certain behaviors that just aren't that don't mix right they don't align and so that is that is inherent and that is uniform essentially across the board no matter what rugby team you know you're dealing with and so 
if there are bad apples in the barrel, they're, they're quickly sort of cast out. And so it's just, it, why it is, that's just how it was formed. That's that, those are the, those are the things that were, I think, considered, um, and, and made a part of the game, um, at the very, at its very early existence. But yeah, it was a, it was a sport that was, that the rules of the game, again, demanded all of those core, core values that I mentioned. Um, and then the culture surrounding the game did the same. And so, you know, those things have been long held as the sport um, has grown, both in w- women's and men's. It's identical. It doesn't change. And so it's just, it's just a fascinating thing. And there's such the culture of it, some in many ways kind of, I don't want to say supersedes the game, but it's as much a part of the, the actual playing of the game as, <laughs> you know, as the playing of the game. Right. Yeah. It's just a tremendous, it's just a tremendous thing. And the people that are a part of it that play the sport and that are fans of the sport really understand that passion to the, I guess the, I think in, in America in particular in, in countries that rugby was virtually unknown, having this rugby sevens was a great hook because it was fast enough and to capture the attention span and and not too not too long, right? And it was a few enough few enough players that were involved in it, to, so that um, you know that would allow the the naive and and and, and un uh, rugby rugby uneducated eye to understand and grasp the sport enough to know and follow it in a way that they could kind of get hooked. Where I'm going with that is that although the general public and the folks that were exposed to it through the rugby, um, through the Olympics, weren't necessarily hip to the culture, I think you get people hooked on the sport, and then you then and then they you know will will then become exposed to that culture because there's there's that desire to want to see more rugby, you know, maybe even uh, support a local or club rugby team or um even just you know watch more rugby and the more you watch it uh, the more you, you you love it um and the more you become exposed to that culture just that by default so do you yeah. do you prefer one or the other the sevens or the 15s personally i you know i over my career played both you know at every level and i love sevens it's 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 incredible as a player like when i was really the nuts not to necessarily cast myself out, but when I was really in my prime um, of playing, I played, I played actually, I played sevens for the U S and at that time I actually preferred it because I'd only been exposed mostly to 15s, which I love. Right. And that's, that's really what my bread and butter has been over the course of my career, but it offers something a little different. It offered, you know, me as a, a forward an opportunity to make those long passes that only backs really make in a 15s match. And really, they don't make passes that long either. So it allowed me, I think the reason why I liked it so much better at that time was it allowed me to develop and increase the scope of my skill set just to be just to evolve as a player. It allowed me also to do things and run in ways that I wouldn't traditionally do as a forward. So it, it challenged me to be a much broader player and I think that's what the you know that's what but that's what really attracted me at that time to sevens. Um, now that said, as I have have graduated in the age ranks, <laughs> um, it's certainly you know the recovery uh, demands of of rugby sevens, especially at the international game, are in, they're tremendous, and they certainly play into the hands of a much younger player. Just that's just science. So. As I've gotten older, it's definitely become more challenging to, you know, keep up and, 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 and maintain that type of recovery, uh, you know, uh, or be able to, to maintain that type of recovery that's demanded in sevens. But I still love it. It's awesome. It's still awesome to play. I'm, my focus right now is on rugby 15s, and I love it. And, and being away from 15s for, I think it was up till 
this year I hadn't played 15 since 2010. So it stepped away from it, or at least last year. So six years of being away from it and returning to it, it's certainly, you know, something at this phase of my life that I prefer and that I love. And I support Sevens and love watching it at this point, you know, and even maybe even playing it a little bit just to, to keep the fitness uh, up and to keep the skills kind of sharp that I de- won't necessarily be able to do in 15. So I love them both. Who, I mean, I, I just love rugby. So. Right, right. So so what does make a good rugby player and, and what are the differences between, I mean, you've gotten into it a little bit, but what are the differences between a good 15s player and a good 7s player? Well, the name of the game for rugby 7s is speed. I mean, that's it. You know, it's a game of speedsters um, and uh, it's a game of, of, of again, uh, who can recover the quickest, right, after a 100-meter sprint. Um, or two back-to-back 50-meter sprints and tackle. When you're when you're recruiting, what kind of 100-meter times are you looking at? I don't know. If the testing protocol is not particularly for 100-meter. It's more 40-meter. So you, the, the test currently employed for speed is the 40-meter dash. And, you know, I, I think the, probably the ideal speed would range anywhere from and, and then obviously, if it do- drips, if it drops below, if someone can run below a, like a five two or five three forty, all the better, right? But the speeds that I've seen of the players that have represented at the international level range between probably a five three and a five nine on that forty meter dash, and it could go up depending on the player and what they offer. Um, you know, but it's generally in that range. I mean, probably your mean time is, is somewhere around uh, five, five, six, five, seven. And, and I'm shaving off some, some hundreds of, of a second, which are actually a lot in, the, in that world. But in that range, yeah, I think that would probably, that would probably fit the profile of most women's sevens teams right okay so we have speed that the sevens need and what else so you need speed you need to be able to like in 15s pass but the type of pass that's employed in sevens is a slightly slightly different right so it's a it's a longer pass the average pass in sevens i think is somewhere around seven meters or so um but you're you're passing up to 15 meters and that's that's a pretty big big um distance and so yet you know a sevens player has to really have the ability to nail that their target which is obviously the hands of their their teammate um under some sometimes under pressure to throw a concise and accurate pass and good pass um to their teammates so passing is key tackling just like in 15s is key and in sevens, there's a there are a lot of breakaways, so there's a lot of pat, uh, there are a lot probably the chop tackle is the most common one in sevens. You rarely get the opportunity, uh, or less so than in fifteens, to do like a head-on tackle. So the ability to really move laterally in sevens is crucial. So that that's going to demand a lot of flexibility in the hips, probably more so than in fifteens. And that, and like I said, that ability to just move laterally. So you 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 are moving laterally in 15s, but it's not the same because in sevens you're you have again you have seven people on the field, so you have much more space to cover both horizontal and laterally, and so you need to be able to move in both directions very quickly. Um, communication, you know, that's a it's a big thing. Less less bodies on the field, again more space. That, that ability to communicate. But I think communication in 15s too is, is crucial. So some of the, a lot of those points, you know, are very similar. And the games, it's funny because a lot of the terminology that we're using now in 15s is the same terminology that's used in 7s. Um, the 7s game is, is, is much more contact in this day and time than it was 10 years ago or even five years ago. And so it's, it's it, the, the two... The two 15s and 7s are s- similar in those ways, but, but it's, you know, so you 
So it's not, it's no longer a thing of, okay, you could just be fast and small, you know, and just be able to run around people in the game of sevens. You have to be strong and you have to be able to take a hit like a player in the game of 15s has to, in order to be successful in it. So the kicking, you know, there's, there's probably less kicking in sevens. So that's another point of difference. Although there is strategic kicking, especially when the sweeper is caught you know, there is no sweeper or when, you know, it's just advantageous and, and, and to relieve pressure and make sense. But you see much more kicking in 15s. And so being able to really think under pressure strategically, I, pro- I think is probably a little more crucial in sevens because you have less time. And so every decision you make could be this, the difference in winning and losing a match you have just more opportunities to make, you know, to make, um, I don't want to say bad decisions, but you can, you can, you know, sometimes make a few more mistakes in 15s because you have more opportunities. So, you know, there's, there's that ratio, you know, where you can, you can, you can, you do have to obviously make great decisions and do good things in 15s, but there's that, that allowance to have a little bit more cushion because you have a 80 minute time period versus a 14 minute time period to, to write those, to, to write those mistakes. Right. So. Is it hard to teach the tactics since I, I, I'm imagining most of your players come to you pretty new to the sport. You know, they haven't been playing it in grade school and college and high school. Right at this point, there's more. Obviously, there there are more players now than there were again five, ten years ago. Coming out of high school programs, coming through the ranks out of college, who have played. When you when we're talking about the U.S. team, a number of those players did actually play in college, and so they're not just fresh off the street. You do have some crossover athletes, like Alev Kelter, who's a crossover athlete, but she's been immersed in the sport for. I think the last probably three or four years, give or take a year or two. So, you know, that, and, and she played high level sports, other sport, high level, you know, at other sports. And I think athleticism, you know, there's a, there's a, there's a great, in the U S especially, we cultivate some, some of the best athletes in the world. And so that carries us a lot further than most countries. And we can rely on that pure athleticism to keep us in a, in a in probably in a good place until our skills kind of catch up. And so, yeah, there, there are these crossover athletes, but then you have like players like Nia Tapper on the U S sevens team who um, played in college at UNC, um, but just was just a, just an incredible athlete in, in general. Right. And so as she's played and, and developed her skill set more, you know, she's become, undisputedly one of the best sevens players in the world and in a very, very short amount of time. So yeah, there are less players than probably other countries with less legacy in rugby before coming in, you know, into or onto the international scene. But there are certainly, you know, a large number of the players that are there did play prior to coming in. So they didn't start in grade school, but they did start. You know, with all of the studies that are emerging concerning like uh, special sports specialization at a young age, I actually think it plays to our benefit, right? To not necessarily, let's say, specialize. It would be great to be exposed to rugby at a young age, but I think specializing in any sport it actually it limits a, a kid. So it's I think it's good that a lot of these athletes haven't necessarily been so focused on one sport and rugby, you know, being that, and that they're more focused on just being great athletes because they'll pick up, they'll catch on, you know. How are you going to adopt that philosophy? And I know that you've started a a youth program in in New York state. So how are you going to adopt that? My take is I don't think that, you know, again, these kids, shouldn't necessarily just be playing rugby. So in, in terms of working it into what I, you know, aspire to create here in New York and then hopefully expand countrywide is to, you know, show them rugby, teach them rugby, teach them, you know, the basics of it, 
but it won't be an every necessarily an everyday thing at, at, at that youth age. Um, because I want to be able to offer kids that freedom to explore their other sports, you know, and, and um, explore other things, you know, that aren't necessarily sport so that they can develop wholly. That creates balance and it ultimately creates just a better human being in general. So it's, it's essentially, it's utilizing rugby, much like play rugby's motto is basically to create great human beings or to foster or inspire great humanity through the, the sport of rugby. Rugby just simply being a medium, you know, and to teach these core values that will, you know, feed into that philosophy so that these young, these little people continue to grow and align to evolve into even great big people. It's a business model that I've, that I have created at this point to hopefully launch it's it's probably going to be changing. It'll 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 be con con hopefully constantly uh, continue to evolve into something a little different and a little more inclusive of other things, so that it's you know it it reflects what what number one the kids need and what they want, and I think what really the sport is all about. Since we're talking about kids and youth programs, can you talk about the aggression of the sport and? Is it as violent as its reputation? <laughs> That's a funny question. I did a video shoot a couple weeks ago with Richie McCaw and um, uh, Alev Kelter and um, Nate Ebner uh, of the Patriots. We were talking about, I don't know, just very casually, I was talking with one of them about, you know, the one thing that kind of binds us all is <laughs> rugby players definitely come to the table with some anger issues. And so... It's uh, not necessarily a prerequisite, and I'm sure that there are people that out, that out there that play the sport that, that, that don't necessarily feel that way, but I think a large majority of us definitely, you know, we're dealing with some, some stuff. We, we come to the sport. It offers an, uh, an avenue uh, to, to really express ourselves and express that emotion or at least kind of get an understanding of it. You know, but the cool thing about it is that when you when you employ the laws of the sport, the culture of the sport into that equation, it, it, it does turn into just pure aggression, right? It becomes instead of just anger and all of this like um, uh, crazy emotional stuff, you learn or I have learned how to circumvent that into just aggression. And, and as you work through those emotions, because right, we're human beings, we're, we're, we're flooded with emotions. All of us are flooded with hopefully every emotion so that we feel the full effect of the spectrum. But we, we learn and we mature and we grow in a way that we, that we can, we learn how to express, you know, through aggression. And then we become more in tune to the technical elements of the game so then we start, you know, we use our intellect. And so, yeah, it's really aggressive. It's super aggressive, you know. But I, I think that it's comparable to other things in other walks of life. I mean, football is super aggressive also. I think soccer in its way is very aggressive. It doesn't necessarily um, utilize the vehicle of tackling. But, you know, people are aggressive. They run aggressively. Sport, I think, is, is aggressive within itself. And I think many times because rugby players don't wear pads, we don't wear protective equipment, we get tagged or pinged as being like these crazy, overly aggressive, just insane people out here playing this brutal sport. When in reality, yeah, it is a little brutal. It can be a little <laughs> tough for the average person. But I guarantee you take the average person and you teach them technically how to play, play the game. You train them to have kind of a baseline of fitness to play the game. Yeah, they'll be roughed up the, after the first few matches. They'll, they'll feel like they've been in a minor car accident, maybe even a major one, after you know, their first exposure to the sport. But they will adjust and their bodies will acclimate to that 
that everything you go through in a rugby game, there's no one word to characterize it. And then, and at some point, they'll gain that fitness. They'll get the fitness that, that every rugby player that's been playing for years and years has, you know, and it will become like nothing. Now, what I will say is it's like I, I sometimes I wonder, and I get injuries. I get like these little, for me at this point, it's like my, my hands and my feet, my fingers and my toes <laughs> suffer, suffer probably the most. And I, I, I'll go in and, and see like my chiropractor or my orthopedist and I'll say, I wonder why this happened to me. And they're like, well, you're playing rugby. What do you expect? <laughs> like you're playing a collision sport. So, you know, nine times, I mean, you know, at some point if you ram your car into a wall, you know, 10 times, you know, your car is going to get some damage at least once out of those 10 times, right? Definitely, probably 10 times out of 10 times, right? But so you, you can't expect a different result sometimes because you're playing, that's the nature of the sport. It's the nature of the beast. But as aggressive as it is, you know, there's there's a tremendous amount of respect and, and there's a, a certain, um, there's, there's, a, there's a, a definitely a, a level of, of, of um, yeah, I guess there's no other way to say it, respect that's demanded in the game so that it keeps the game safe within its constructs. And so, yeah, I, I, although aggressive and although seemingly brutal in many ways, it's, it's probably one, it's, it's, I think, probably a safer sport in the contact realm because the technical elements are, are driven home so much and are patrolled so closely uh, by the laws of the game and the refs that, 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 you know, that oversee that process. So, yeah. <laughs> so let's go back to the Olympics. And I'm interested in knowing if you think that the rugby being included in the Olympics is going to carry over and keep interest in the Olympics going forward, in, you know, until the next Olympics. I do believe the Olympics had an incredible impact um, on the sport. I mean, USA Rugby saw traffic jump from, I think, they, daily they would get maybe 300,000 or so hits a day. And, and during that Olympic period, especially during the time that the women were playing, that number spiked to 35 million. I mean, that's, that's, an, incredible, that's an incredible jump. So that was the Im- immediate impact on the sport. But... You know, fortunately, what's happening here in the U.S. is that the U.S. will be hosting the 2018 Rugby Sevens World Cup. I am so excited about that. That's huge. And so, you know, although you'll have this four-year gap between the games, next year we'll have this opportunity to re-engage with those same teams and many of those same players that we saw in the Olympics. And so... I think that will that is going to be critical, and that's a critical component to maintaining the momentum that we enjoy during the games. What is also going to be crucial, though, in continuing this this build up and the continuance of growing the and exposing the sport and building a fan base is building that fan base very organically by creating more youth, putting more emphasis on youth rugby and also on coaching development. There, there are not enough coaches, really, to, and I'm speculating, but I know that there, I know that there are a lot of kids out there that don't even know what rugby is that would love the game and would love the sport if they had the opportunity to play because of its inclusive nature alone, right? And, the, and because of the opportunity that everyone on that team has to be a star, to, to run with the ball, to tackle, uh, you know, at that level. And, and even in flag rugby, to, to score a try, right? So the, 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 the nature of the sport offers something for every single person that engages in it and offers them every single opportunity to do and be those things that, you know, everybody wants to be. They want to be the star. They want to be the scorer. They want to run the ball. It also seems like it's probably a pretty affordable sport to set up. Absolutely is, right? So, I mean, the, the biggest cost in the sport will be just, you know, 
like in a you know the coaching right and so you don't have the equipment cost you know for for flag you simply need a space an open space that's the size of a of a of a basketball court really you know and you could obviously utilize half of you know half of the field but for flag rugby you need flags you know for each for each player and you need a ball so it, there's nothing cheaper, right? And then when you elevate to tackle rugby, then you don't need the flags. You simply need mouth guard and a ball, right? So the, the, the critical thing, I think, again, is, is having good coaches and cultivating and developing coaches that know the game, that also not just know the game and understand the rules of the game, but understand, like, positive coaching because that's a big part of rugby that I think differentiates it from some, you know, sometimes football and not to, not to dismiss or, uh, you know, shed any negative light on football, but it's just, they're just different. They're different animals. And, you know, a lot of, a lot of, um, things that come into rugby because it's such an unknown and people are unexposed is, is that nurturing component that goes with coaching, that positive reinforcement, that comes along. Um, and so, yeah, the, the coaching development is key and the, and the, uh, just getting more kids playing and getting the ball in their hand is key. And so that's what, that's a part, big part of the you know reason why I like to be, you know, I want to start this rugby company and get it off the ground is to bring that opportunity to the kids that have never had it. Just like, you know, I was exposed to basketball and football as a kid kids should be exposed to rugby as well, you know, and they can make the choice of whether they want to continue it or whether they want to try other things. And that's great too. But I, I guarantee you that they will gain so much just from being exposed to rugby, gain so much to help them in their other sports and endeavors in life, because it's absolutely one of the hardest things to play, but one of the most fun games to play as well. In terms of the women's sports, I noticed that there was an event in Las Vegas that combined the men's and women's. And how do you? Yeah, that, that that was. Go ahead. You got it. You got it. Go ahead. So that that sounded like it would make a, a huge difference in terms of popularity and just exposing a whole new group of people to to the women's sport. You know, that was a, again. That was an, an amazing thing, and. I credit um, I credit United World Sports, which is the, the you know the company that oversees that Vegas event, and I credit USA Rugby and Dan Payne in particular because you know as the C, the new CEO or most recently appointed CEO of USA Rugby, you know he he could he had the vision to push that forward and and really work to I know the relations between USA Rugby and, and United World Sports prior to his coming on board, were a bit strained. And so he wanted to quit very quickly build that relationship and, 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 you know, make it a good relationship. And they came together and they really pushed for this event along with World Rugby because obviously World Rugby oversees that. But that was, that was enormous. Having the women involved in that tournament was great and it was a great starting point. Now, going forward, you know, I believe that what needs to happen and as we can continue to build this number one bridge this this gender disparity, right? This equity issue in in the sport of rugby, which does exist, there's definitely a disparity. And the way we're going to be able to bridge that and 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 make Vegas even bigger um, for both the men and the women is to integrate, I feel like, integrate those games so that the men and the women are playing. Then, then, then the course of their, that tournament, it, it starts and ends for both. You know, So it's not just the women playing on one day and the men playing on one day and then the last day they both play, like having it all integrated, right? So I, as a fan, could buy my ticket and I could watch one men's game and then one women's game. Absolutely, right? You know, and it, it, again, like it's exciting. It's not that they're not obviously there are no two things that are exactly alike and identical, but they're so similar and they both offer such spectacular 
um, a, a, such a spectacular draw, you know, that it's just, it's, it's, it's a no brainer. And then what comes with that also is then media, right? I know NBC um, broadcast some of the men's games during that weekend, over the course of the weekend, and it's to get some of those women's games on there as well. You know, make a part of the negotiations, you know, in, in broadcasting this event, you know, and that, that means that, you know, USA Rugby makes a, you know, has a big voice at the table to, to push this forward, and it means that United World Sports would do the same, and then hopefully, you know, NBC would, would, would buy in as well to broadcast the women's games as well, right? As many, I think the, the idea is we, we get to a place where we, we see more women's rugby on television, high-level rugby. We, we offer it to the general public because they haven't been exposed to it. Women's sports in general, it's just not uh, as widespread on television as men's. And so naturally, it's not going to be as popular. So you have to be able to be willing to do a little bit more to bridge the gap, and so that's what we're asking. You can't you can't go out there with, when you have a you know when there's an imbalance and expect to put the same amount in both and change the result. You have to put a little bit more in one, a little bit more energy to build one up so that it can you know so that it can gain some momentum. And so I think that's a big part of it too, and making it and commercializing it and making it more marketable so that eventually it translates into dollars. Because at the end of the day, that's been the argument, right, with women's and men's sports. Well, women's sports aren't, you know, broadcast as, as much because they don't generate as much money. But it's more, it's not a dollars and cents issue, it's an equity issue. And until we can get our heads around that, and start approaching it from that perspective, then we're probably never going to get anywhere. But if we take it as an equity issue and green and bridge that gap, then the, the trust that the, the the money will come, you know, and all those other things will come about. So sure. it was a tremendous success to have the women play in the stadium in Vegas. And I look forward to what's to come next year. And are they working on all your suggestions or the suggestions that uh, you talked about here? Are they on board? You know, I, I hope so. I'm I'm um I'm going to be meeting next week with United World Sports to have a conversation a little bit with them about it. I will be pushing this. Obviously, I've had numerous conversations with Dan Payne at USA Rugby, um, and it's something that I, as a newly elected USA Rugby board member, will be bringing into play as well with the board just to discuss. But that's something that the board and 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 honestly, that's the we've talked about it's it's something in that we are working on in terms of a mission statement and a mission the next step is to strategically map out our quest to bridge this gap so it's definitely looking up right we are it's 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 being discussed it's being talked about and now it's about just bringing possible solutions to the table that are going to help with us leading the fight in gender equity as a sport. Great. Yeah, I think if America can take the lead on it, then the world will follow. And hopefully other sports will follow as well. Exactly, yeah. exactly. So how is your work progressing in uh, for the fall beginning of your Monroe College's uh, rugby team, the first women's rugby team, right? Yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's been going really well. I'm working alongside James English, the director of rugby at Monroe, um, and then the men's head coach, uh, Dylan Fawcett, and I call him Butch, so I'd like to refer to him as Butch. <laughs> I don't know him as Dylan. Um, but it, it's, this season with the, with the men has been great, and it's, um, number one, it's allowed me to kind of learn the, the landscape of Monroe and what we do there what they do there. We've had a number of women express interest and actually sign up. It's PSAL season here in New York. So that's essentially the public school athletic league and it's rugby season. So play rugby's is uh, at the helm of, of the rug, all rugby activities in the city for high school. So what we do is we go out, you know, on the, on the respective dates and, and just watch, watch games. Uh, James and I will be watching some, some matches with the, the girls high school 
rugby teams and talking to some of those players about, you know, joining us in the fall at Monroe. So this is recruiting season. We're in the midst of recruiting season, and it will continue through uh, out most of the month of May to bring some of those ladies along. So, yeah, it's looking good. I mean, Monroe College is, although it's not a varsity college, rugby's not a varsity sport, the, the athletes in rugby get treated like varsity athletes. So the only, the only difference in us and, and a varsity program is that we're just not a sanctioned varsity program. But everything, you know, is, is taken care of for the players. They get the same treatment, you know, as, the, say, like, the, you know, in the allowances as the basketball team, the, you know, or any other varsity program on campus, which you can't beat, right? And so for now, we, we are happy with that. But it certainly, the program's only been on the ground. It's, it hasn't even been a full year that even the men's program was established. And so in light of all of those circumstances, Monroe is extremely, extremely supportive of rugby. And they love their rugby. We just want to continue to see it grow. And so I have very high hopes for the women's program this fall. It's going to probably be very similar in building this program as the, the men's program was, and which is basically teach these, these young ladies basic skills. We get them fit, you know, and then we, you know, we, we let them play rugby. So looking forward to it. Do you have a coaching philosophy for, for that team? I'm not really that big on philosophies. I, I mean, I, um, I think positive, you know, being just the virtue of the sport, right? Positivity is a big thing. We ask that, I guess my, my ask is that everyone give their all when they're there, focusing on what they're doing, but they also give their all when they're not there. So it means, you know, engaging fully as a student, just encouraging these young ladies to just be the best human beings they can be and breaking it down into various scenarios and showing them how they can do that, you know, or, or inspiring them to do it in the way that comes naturally for them. So I don't really have any like official philosophy on, on, on anything other than just, you know, being the best that you can be and what that ends up being is, is, you know, is, is, is enough. And if you're doing that, you know, as a rugby player, as a student, as a, you know, uh, as just a, 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 a meaningful and giving citizen in the, to the world, it takes care of itself. One thing is to just try to leave the world a better place than you found it and then leave everything you, you enter in a better state than you found it. I would love to ask about what you're doing in your own training. Yeah, I'm uh, training every day. Today is fortunately a rest day for me, which is so well-deserved. But I, I, I train with New York Rugby Club, which is my club team. And, and I'm, you know came back out for the spring so that I could, you know, have the opportunity to play and build up to uh, our training camps this summer for the U.S. For the most part, spend Mondays and Tuesdays working out, working on my my subunit skill set. I'm uh, trying out as a hooker, so, you know, doing a lot of throwing, training my fitness, um, weightlifting, watching some film, and uh, then engaging in like our team practices with New York. Uh, so yeah, that's that's that takes a lot out of me. I do, a, but a big part of my also my training protocol is is doing a lot of stretching, a lot of yoga. Probably not as much as I've wanted to over the last few weeks. So definitely got to tighten that up. And meditating, you know, and I guess yoga is moving meditation, but I spend quite a bit of time meditating in different ways uh, to balance, to, to clear my mind. And it helps me also with breathing, right? Because a big focus in meditation in some forms is just the breath. So it, it, all these things play into my ability to be a better player, you know, and, and to still be able to do this at 42. Very critical, especially the meditation piece. I'm very aware of a lot of other things now that I wasn't necessarily aware of as a younger player. As a, you know, how long have you been meditating? Uh, I've been meditating for a few years now. Probably, I mean, pretty 
consistently for the last three or four years and and most consistently over the last year it's been just a, a really big part of, of my life and my existence and so and just become a just a daily part of my my practice right of, of just this practice of life and you've and you've noticed definite differences absolutely yeah i mean it, it, un, undeniably like I, I look at life through a completely different lens than I used to, and, and, and everything that I do is affected by it. But there's just a, an extremely heightened awareness of, of everything, and, and my, my view of, of things has shifted so much, just my view of life in general. And then on the rugby pitch, you know, it's, it's just a, there's a unique calmness that I have that I never had, you know, when I wasn't meditating, when I was not aware in that way. I just my reactions uh, are different. They're probably faster many times now. My Again, my breathing when you're, you know, out there working hard on the field, it's a lot more, you know, controlled. So it's just everything has changed. My whole life experience has shifted dramatically since I've meditated. And what about at Monroe College? Will you share it with that team? Absolutely. You know, and again, I haven't really done a lot with the men because it, you know, I came in at a time where we were, they were already, they were already convening and doing their own thing. But it's certainly something I've talked to James about employing with the men, women, and and maybe even you know at the start of the season next year, it'll be something that we can we can roll out with both teams. Um, but I think also it's a very personal thing because for me, it, there's a very, there's a, there's that spiritual element to it. And I think that everyone has to kind of come to it in their own time, but I love, you know, I'm open to introducing it, you know, to the collective group, but it's, it's something that people just need to kind of find when they're ready, you know, and, and it will, it will actually, it will find them when they're ready, right. just like it found me, but it's definitely something that I want to start with, with the women so that it becomes just, you know, even if there's no, this, that they can't make that spiritual connection right off the bat, they're at least able to integrate the practices of breathing into their protocol. And, and, and it will then just kind of <laughs> inherently make its way, right? It'll, it'll just evolve for them in the way it's meant to, but it's certainly something I will do with Monroe College. I think one of the things that's interesting about that and incorporating it as a team for the Monroe College is that, it, you know, I, I find that it's really hard to fit it into the schedule and you think, oh, that's the thing that I can take off that, you know, it's not as important. You know, it's not as important to do my stretching or my yoga or my meditation, mm-hmm. where, as you're talking about, it's part of a whole process. It's a part of a, a whole person. Absolutely. And it, it's, it's that piece that I feel like many people miss. They don't, they don't necessarily connect. Like you say, it's the first thing to go on the chopping block when in reality it's the most integral and important thing that they can have in order to succeed and, and have full alignment with everything else in their life. And so it's so critical, right? It's, it's actually sometimes I think the recovery part of, of, of sport is more important many times than you know, the strength and conditioning and the fitness part of it. Because what that what that part does is it opens up space so that those other things can be maximized. And and that's just, that's on a very and then that's just coming at it from a very physical perspective. Like there's then that other the the that X factor, those those less physical and you know, those emotional and non intangibles that that, you know, values that come as a result of it. And uh, I think players' players' IQ skyrockets when they can tap into just that. So certainly something that's at the forefront and really important and shouldn't be ignored. So, yeah. Well, well great. Well, well, thank you, Phaedra, very much. I look forward to hearing more. Thank you. Uh, I appreciate the opportunity to talk to you today. And um, yeah, um, thank you for thank you for taking the interest. Grateful for that. You were you were very welcome. And and maybe we'll meet in San Francisco. 
That'd be great. Yep. Awesome. awesome. Talk to you later. Bye-bye. Sure. Bye. Thanks so much for listening. All episodes are available on iTunes, Stitcher, and from hearhersports.com listen page. If you're interested in more information about women in sports, every other Thursday I send out a short email filled with related articles, highlights from the episode, links to sport videos I find, and other stuff I've been thinking about. Subscribe at hearhersports.com. It's also a great help if you rate the podcast or leave a review on whichever platform you're listening. Doing so helps spread the word and makes it possible for more fans of women in sports to find it. You can find me on Instagram and Facebook at Hear Her Sports. should be simple. Just put on your shoes and go. And yet, when you try to learn about how to get better at it, especially as you age, you're confronted with conflicting advice, complicated workouts, and confusing nutrition trends that just won't work for you. On The Planted Runner, I'll share exactly how to run faster, longer, and feel great doing it at any age because you don't have time to waste. I'm Coach Claire Bartholik, and I went from not running at all in my late 30s to finishing a marathon in 2.58 at age 42, all on a plant-based diet. I've helped hundreds of runners achieve new personal records well into their 60s and even 70s with science-back training, plant-based nutrition, and proven mental strength techniques. Each episode of The Planted Runner is like a private coaching session on the run where you'll learn from me and the guests I interview. You'll get actionable lessons to help you become a better runner every week and reach goals that you never thought possible. Whether you're training for your first 5K or your 50th marathon, take along the planted runner on your next run. Let me show you how your best running is still ahead of you. 